Welcome back to Tuesday's episode of Let's Open the Bible. Russ and Gavin coming at you this morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, we're coming at them. I know. Coming after them. Uh-oh. You're, we're on the, they may be coming after us. We're, well, yeah, pitchforks and, and uh, torches. Sure. Uh, well, today, listener, if you have your Bible, we touched on uh, or talked about Sanctity of Life yesterday. We will again today. And uh, and I think I mentioned that we'll, we'll be in a few places this week, and, and we do plan on getting to some other places. Uh, we're trying to let the Lord lead and uh, and not get in the way. And so uh, today, if you have your Bible, you want to open to Exodus chapter 22, find verse 21. Gavin's going to start in verse 21, and, and I think it's going to end up somewhere in the general block of, of verse 29. But I'm going to kick us off in prayer, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your love that we don't deserve. And, and Lord, that your word guides us in all truth, that you teach us about life and about the value and the importance that you place on life. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, this conversation would be helpful and productive for us and for the listener, and that ultimately it would lead to you being glorified. And so, Father, we humbly submit to, to your will. Have your will and your way with us, Lord, as we walk through Exodus chapter 21. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Exodus 22, actually. Actually, yeah, Exodus 22. Um, you were just talking about, you know, trying to let the Lord lead. I, I think what you were implying there is that um, our minds and uh, and our hearts get in the way sometimes, and we want to trust in ourselves. Uh, and where the Bible asks us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, oftentimes we we lean on our own understanding. That's right. And so, um, especially with these difficult issues, um, both of us uh, come prepackaged. We, we have predispositions towards thinking things incorrectly, uh, whether it's the way we were raised or the way we were wired, the, the way we are wired, we tend to think things through incorrectly. Um, but we have the mind of Christ by the Spirit of God. Uh, we have a new mind, a new heart, a, a new way of looking at things. We are new cre- creatures, right? Um, behold, the old has passed away. And in, in order to see that... Um, practiced we need to be men of the word yeah and i really i really strive to 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 the best of my ability and it's impossible to do it perfectly but to the best of my ability to think things through according to god's word by the power of his spirit uh and if i think things incorrectly may god open my eyes yeah yeah so i loved how you said that i mean we we don't want to preach ourselves but Christ and him crucified. We don't want to preach ourselves, but we want to trust God's word and every jot and tittle of it is inspired so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. All right. Exodus 22, starting in verse 21. You shall, and this is kind of the social justice passage of, of, of the law, right? You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak... In pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. And it is his cloak 
for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the overflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. That's a lot. That is a lot. And there are some things in there that we will not get get burdened down, bogged down with right now, like multiple wives. <laughs> Though we can address polygamy and why it happened and God, um, why that was, um, I don't want to say overlooked, why that was uh, permitted in the Old Testament. It was not never God's design, but we're gonna, we're not going to dig into that today. So let let's talk about compassion towards people. Yeah. Okay. You have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> I'm all about being yeah. compassionate. Yeah, I, I am probably a bigger fan of it than a practitioner of it, though I, I want to be better. I've discovered um, uh, some unflattering characteristics of my personality uh, sometimes reveal themselves, and, and I'm not happy about it, but I'm very much a work in progress and praying about it, but I'm not always as compassionate of a person as I would like myself to be. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we kind of mess it up all the way around because there are times that we should be overflowing in generosity, you know, giving financially and of our times and of our houses and of our, uh, our time, talent, treasure, houses. You know, we should be, we should be putting our, our, our very lives on the line for the, the work and mission of God. And then there are other times, and we all fall short of that, but there are other times that we need to look somebody in the eye and say, "I love you enough that I will not give you a penny." Yeah. Um, there are places in Scripture where you know, uh, if a widow has children, you're to step back as a church and let them learn godliness by providing for their their you know their their mother in this case, and uh, or their grandmother in this case. And if they don't provide, they're worse than an unbeliever. There's a time that if somebody's not willing to work, we need to love them enough to step back and not help them, and still be kind and compassionate in our words and our encouragement, but that we would not help them in other ways because you know we're enabling in a way that is not of God and we fail there as well every I hope I hope that you as a pastor ha, you have a heart that wants to help and sometimes you help when you're like ah biblically I probably shouldn't but yeah. I just as if we love a person more than God does yeah I'm definitely guilty of that and you know and then I see a meme I saw a meme earlier on social media maybe it was yesterday or today I don't know but the meme of a boy kind of looking sideways at somebody who uh, is apparently as if they were asking this 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 boy was the pastor of a church and this this other person was asking apparently for the the church to pay the utility bill and the boy's looking at her and the meme said so wait a minute you you got a pack of cigarettes and an iPhone and you want us to pay your utility bill yeah. So that's food for thought, but that also really allows for us to be judgmental and to do what we wanted yeah. to do anyways, which is to turn this person away. Right. Where where we should be we should be just burying our nose in the scripture and say, God, how can I love this person best? Sometimes it's really you know it's, it's sometimes it's like okay if I if I help I'm helping more than I should and yep. and yeah. I'm enabling and sometimes if I don't help I'm not doing enough. Yes. And it's, it's frustrating. So so then we drift back to that thing where we say as Christians that I disagree with. I'm just trying to walk that fine line. Yeah. And I don't agree. We've talked about that enough. I What I want to do with any person in front of me is go, what is the most God-defined, God is going to define what love is, what is the most God-defined loving thing that I can do for this person? If it is to help them, there should be no cost too great if I can afford it. I mean, I'm not going to rob a bank to help somebody, but if I can afford it, I need to do it. And, and if I can't afford to do it financially, maybe I can afford to do it in other ways. Or, But there's no cost that should ultimately be too great if it's the God-glorifying thing to do. 
And if it is that time to look them in the eye and say, I love you so much, I can't even begin to tell you, but I love you enough not to give you a penny or not to welcome you into my home or not to, you know, and, and, and that's going to take a lot of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's going to take a lot of word saturation. Well, it's as James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God sure. who gives all liberally and without reproach. And, yeah. and so part of my prayer life, my constant prayer life is for godly wisdom and discernment. Okay. Amen. In fact, if most of the people that ask me just quickly, what can I pray for you about? It's, it's, always wisdom and then certainly i add to that as we go but if, if just you know if, if i'm i'm doing kind of a flyby prayer request and somebody says how can i pray for you it's wisdom all the time i yeah. need it desperately absolutely okay um so so let's just go through some of these and, and we'll talk about them you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him for you were sojourners in the land of egypt we are all and by the way these sojourners may or may not share your value system it doesn't matter right. these sojourners may or may not share your customs, your culture, or anything else. It doesn't matter. We are to treat every single person ever with dignity and respect, not world-defined dignity and respect. I always want to go back to that. God loves people better than any world system, any created um, ethic ever could. We need to love people like God calls us to love them, but we need to love, not but, and we need to love them well, deeply. Um, and, and there are places in scripture that says we need to forgive people from our heart or, you know, so. So by love, are you using that as an expression of a noun or a verb? Yes. Yeah. Good yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, because it, it's not an either or. No, it's a both and. Yeah. Sure. Um, you shall not mistreat any widow or, by the way, just real quick as an aside, I love when you put me on the spot. I, I really do appreciate that. You know, we, we as pastors need to be ready for these things because, we are going to get asked. That's right. Maybe not that exact way, but um, uh, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Hmm. Wow. And we're to we're to love older women like mothers and younger women like sisters. There really is. I mean, we could almost skip this and just say every single person that you ever meet in your life, you better consider them more important than yourselves. Yeah. And, uh, and and not look out only for your own needs. This is what Philippians do. Not look out only for your own needs, but also for the needs of others. If you say that, you know, if someone comes in and has a need and you have the worldly goods and you don't help them, how does the love of God, you know, exist in you? Mm. So, but but taking care of, of the widows. So can, can I just mention there, sure. um, I have shared this one other time with, I think on this podcast, I was a fatherless child. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember, um, as I shared on here before, I I just remember getting caught stealing a piece of two-cent bubble gum. Why that amount has always stood out, I don't know. But so living in a government-assisted housing project was, was something I was unaware of. So when the shop owner who caught me stealing asked me where I lived, and I explained where I lived. There was another person in the store that I was unaware of who said, because of where I lived, well, no wonder he's a little thief. As if because I was poor, living in a government-assisted housing project, that necessitated me being a thief. Well, that was a bad decision, but I was a fatherless child. And in that moment, the shop owner, owner actually showed me more compassion than this person that had no financial ties whatsoever to this uh, business. And he showed me compassion by allowing me to come back 
with my mother. He could have just said, never come into the store again, but that's not what he said. He said, never come back into the store without your mother. Whereas this lady was basically trying to crucify him, crucifying. And, and when you said that, you know, when you were reading this verse about you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, that struck a chord with me because I was a fatherless child. And it, it reminds me once again of something I wrote in that devotional I wrote, that Jesus died for the fatherless children. Mm-hmm. He yes. died for the, for the children of single parents and the children with parents that, that are still married. He, he, he died for the little boys and the little girls, and he, he died for all of us, the, the fat kids and the skinny kids and the rich kids and the poor kids. He died for all of us. Let's steer this back to the sanctity of life, too. He died for the mother that had the abortion, and he died That's for the right. child that, 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 that was aborted. He died for the doctor that repents of that act, and, and, he, di- and he died for uh, the, the, uh, the older person that, that, that's lost their mind, and people are considering yes. euthanizing them. He died for... Uh, he is the way of escape and the hope that all of us have. There is not one... Uh, we, we've both made a lot of this. There is no one on the the perfect side of the cross. We're all on the beggar side of the cross at the foot saying, Hey, there's room enough here for you as well. Yep. So, so I'm um, so but, glad but, that you mentioned that about grace, Yeah, that he died. You know, if you're listening and, and you have made the, the decision to at some point in your life, have had an abortion or, or if the doctor or, or yes, or if you are, um, uh, a son or a daughter that's had to make the decision for their parents, their aging parents or grandparents, uh, to place them in a nursing home, and and Gavin, you have, yeah, yes. and uh, you know, my wife is the granddaughter of of that of a decision like that, and potentially a daughter of a decision like that at some point. I am a guardian of an uncle who is in a facility. Like you need to know that. It's easy to beat yourself up over these things and and just just dwell in in this misery. God loves you, and 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 His Son died for you, and His grace. He as He told uh, Paul, His grace is sufficient. Yeah, and 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 that is that that is a say, say the sentence and pause. His grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, grace all the more. And and I hope that you stay with us through the rest of this episode, though, as we talk about how as pastors you deal with sin. Yeah. Because this this situation is replete with sin, and 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 we need we need to take sin seriously. So, um, but but there's another aside that I think we, I just want to touch on really quickly. When you said, you know, they said, well, he comes from that area, um, you know, of course he's going to be a thief. I I don't know what the statistics are. I know many wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people steal. In right. fact, I don't know that it's any less prevalent in the wealthy communities as in the poor communities. But there is a sensitivity in Scripture to people that steal from poverty. So, so in Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, it says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you, that's the big one, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There is a sensitivity. Again, I'm not saying if you're poor, you steal, you have to. No, I'm not saying if you're rich, you don't st- rich, you don't steal. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there is a biblical sensitivity, not an allowance for, but a biblical sensitivity to people that steal from their position of poverty. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if that helped or that was just a unnecessary sidebar, but let's get back to the text. And then I want to m- make a point. Um, would a fatherless mistreat them? Um, the, uh, let's, let's hop down to verse 
uh, 29b, the second part of that. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. That is the opposite. So God wants to bless you with the fruit of, of children, right? And, and to recognize that children are good and that we, that we say, God, these, are, these children are yours to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, children are a fruit of the womb. And, uh, wait, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Mm. So children are a blessing of God and, 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 and Christ loves the little children. Right? Hinder them not, for, forbid them not uh, um, from coming unto me, right? Um, the opposite of that is Moloch. A false god that people created in order to sacrifice their children. That's right. Right. So you have Leviticus eighteen twenty one. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. Now keep in mind, Moloch is a false god. He's a fake god. Uh, but people appeased him apparently by sacrificing their children to him, and that is a profaning of the name of God, according to Leviticus Leviticus eighteen twenty one. We must not offer our children to false gods, and and to make that a little bit of an an analogy we offer our children physically to false gods the god of expediency and and that's a false god there is no such god as expediency but we offer to the to the god of financial prosperity to the god of convenience to the god of comfort or the god of no shame so, so, so I want to be clear. Like I can, I am, I am understanding. I can understand the point of a woman that says, you don't know what it's like to walk through my house and tell my father that, that I am pregnant. I don't, but let's not offer our children to that God. And, and as Christians, I want to say this, children are never, ever to be viewed as a problem. Right now you may have participated in sin and, and, and but children are never the product of uh, they are never to be considered a problem, in my opinion. They they are a gift. Amen. So 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 I want to address maybe things that 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 I will address that later. We'll leave that alone. Physically, we offer our children up in abortion to false gods. We offer our kids up to false gods with abuse and neglect. Emotionally, church, we are offering our children up to the God of divorce, which is no real mm. God. That's, that's you and divorce. And that leaves scars. And I, I, I love my mother. I love my father uh, dearly. I am the product of a twice-divorced mom. We all, okay, if you do the study on the meta-analysis of divorce, and again, emphasize grace, turn to Christ. You are forgiven. He, the death he died, he died to sins, past, present, future, but, but divorce, the meta analysis on divorce is devastating. It's devastating for the children. I mean, if you study the the, the depression rates go up, illiteracy goes up. You look, it's like 20 things. And and I can't remember one, one, what one of them is. Apparently I can't talk today. One of them is something like, um, Asthma, the rate of asthma increase. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but but divorce is devastating. We offer them up. It's we offer our related children, to stress. Yeah, I'm sure we offer our children up spiritually, on the altar of amusement, we or, or laziness or or lack of understanding, and so we need to offer our firstborn, and I would say all of our children. We need to present them to God and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So one of the things that that y- 
a lot, so many things have run through my mind there while you were talking. But you know, we see in the account of original sin that that sin begins with questioning God and His Word, and this this particular topic of divorce. You said your mom and and my mom as well, uh, two time uh, two time divorcees. Um, one of the things that that we see there is a repeated pattern of going against the word of God, because mm-hmm. clearly God's word teaches uh, that marriage that is not God's plan for marriage to end in divorce. It was never His plan. He made an allowance for certain things, and yet so many people. Uh, have adopted the marriage for now rather than marriage for life approach to their marriage and effectively what they're teaching their children, what I learned through that, what you learned through that, which thankfully by God's grace, neither one of us have. We've beat the statistics. We uh, haven't beat the statistics yet. Uh, yet. To this point. To this point. To this point, I mean, we beat the statistics, yeah. which says that children from broken homes are much more likely to end in a broken home as well, to end up in, uh, divorced as well. And and to this point, uh, by God's grace, neither one of us have. That could, that could change quickly. Right. Uh, uh, so so one of the things that somebody told me one time, which I really love, is that that I'm to live my life as a daily request for my life, my wife to stay with me. My life should be a daily request for my wife to stay with me. And someone out there may say, no, 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 she's bound to you by covenant. God will keep her with you. I just think it's a much better approach to say, man, I want to live like you're important to me. I want to live like I care that we're together. And for the sake of you and for the sake of my kids, and even more importantly than those things that I love, for the sake of God and my relationship with him, I want to live my life as a petition for you to stay. All right. So now we're going to go to a uncharted territories. Russ and I have not talked about this, and it may go sideways in a hurry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I want to talk in, in fairly vivid, firm terms about the sanctity of life. And for a moment, we will address, and I hope it, exp- it kind of overflows this one issue, but abortion. I do not want you to say anything that you would disagree with, Russ. Okay. So you have to say, nope, I wouldn't go there. Um. And and I want to preface it again. There's not neither of us that are sinless. Um, I have not talked to Russ about this, but I don't think either one of us is perfect in our relationship with women, our wives or otherwise. I don't think that's even a stretch. Um, we're not perfect, and that, now don't, don't take that ways that it shouldn't be taken. I'm just going to say we we are not speaking from platforms of perfection. That's all I'll say. Right. All right. Do Christians lovingly and winsomely but firmly believe that abortion is murder? And I I am being convinced more and more and more that we do not. By our actions. By our actions, yeah. And again, lovingly and winsomely, and, and may God shut my mouth if this is not true. But I think by our actions, we say that there is, it is not the same. Let me give you an example. If a mother says to her four-month-old infant, I cannot provide for you, 
my parents are ashamed of you, and all of this is wrong. I'm not condoning any of this thinking other than the point of do we really believe that abortion is murder? So I I, I cannot provide for you. I cannot afford you. Um, I will have to drop out of high school to raise you. My my parents don't support you. They judge me. They've told me that if if I keep you, I'm going to get kicked out of the house. So for all the reasons that people get divorce uh, abortions, and you can list even more, for all the reasons that people get abortions, I'm going to put this baby uh, um, underwater and take its life. How many people go, that's okay. That's a, that's a woman's choice. That baby was too dependent on her. That baby required too much of her. That's a woman's choice. Or do they say that's murder and there are consequences? And the problem is not the women. I think the problem is the world speaking. Well, I don't know what the problem is, is the women. I'm, that, that's not where I would land is real heavily right now. I would land heavily on the world that is communicating, including our president that is communicating to these women that this is not murder. It's your choice. It's just a choice. And when you get celebrities bragging about this choice, well, guess what? I had one and it was the best decision of my life. When you get celebrities bragging about it, you communicate to a young and very impressionable young lady that there is nothing wrong with it. And I want us as a church to press back lovingly and with Christ as hope for forgiveness to say that it is murder and it is murder. Your thoughts, because I don't want to speak for you or too much for you or. No, I, I think. And I think the next step that, that where you were going with this is, is that if we truly believe it's murder, then what are we doing about the women that are having abortions? Right. And I, and I honestly would start at a different place. I don't think you can legislate against the women right now. I think you start legislating against the abortion clinics and anybody that would do it. And after we've communicated as a, as a loving Christian community in a church that this is not acceptable behavior, this is illegal behavior, it is immoral behavior, and it is ungodly behavior, and we've, and, and we've taken legislative steps to shut down the abortion clinics, then maybe we could talk about, about what, what we do with, with women that are still convinced that, that it is okay to, to take the life of the unborn. But, I, but let's just start with this. The whole world is telling a young lady, I'm going to back up and say something really odd. Adolescence is kind of a, a newer thing, right? This this whole thing where you're not, because in most cultures, you were either a child or you went through some rite of passage and you became a, an adult. And now we say you're, now we say you're a child and then you're kind of an adult, but not really. And we've allowed people to to delay their development. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how that plays out on, on the scene now with these abortion decisions, but, but I want to say this, the world is telling these young and impressionable women that there is nothing wrong and everything to be proud of to have an abortion. And it all, and so this, to me, this starts very similar to, uh, the fall. Yes. So when, when Satan began his, uh, uh, talking with Eve, it began with the question, did God really say? Yes. Began to parse the words. Yep. Well, we're doing that in the abortion issue by asking the question, when does life begin? Right. 
did God really say? Because God has made it clear in his word. Yeah. And then we look for excuses. Science says that it doesn't start until the baby is born. But now, as science is saying more and more and more, especially with these high-definition high ultrasounds, no, life began well before this. Now we're saying, well, science doesn't hasn't really figured it out. So it's more just kind of, I mean, it, it's never going to end because the question is and remains, did God really say? Yeah. And we'll Because we want to say what we want to say. And then, and here's the really big thing for me, is when, when the devil says, you're not going to surely die. Yeah. So when we tell these young ladies there are no consequences for having these abortions or 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 for, for um, again sanctity of life, there there are no consequences for for racism. There are no consequences for xenophobia. There, I don't care what it is. It, when we tell people there are no consequences for thinking less of other people, devaluing human life, there are consequences. In fact, if you read um, Eric Metaxi's Bonhoeffer, the book Bonhoeffer, one of the things that just shouts at you is the German nation. I always ask, how many how many Jews did Hitler kill himself? Now somebody that knows more about this than 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 me may say, oh, he killed, you know, four. Everyone that I ask says he killed six million. Hitler didn't kill six million. The German people and soldiers killed six million people. Why? Because through German higher criticism and 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 Nietzsche and uh, the four horsemen of atheism, you know, uh, through all of the deep, they, these men and ideas, life became less valuable and, and German people elevated themselves to the position of God and looked down on an entire race of people. That's how it happens. And so if anything that devalues life, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Let me say this as clear as I can, cause I've wandered all over the place and maybe some people have already turned it off. Anything that devalues life is not of God. Yep. We're not looking for truth. We're looking for someone to uh, give us validation on what it is we really want. This seems like a good place to stop. Thank you, listener, for uh, staying with us. And uh, continue to open your copy of the Word. Let it form and shape your understanding of what is true. And until uh, we get back together, you continue to do that and bless others with that good news. God bless.